What is up, my friend? And welcome to The Dan Go Show. I'm your host, Dan Go, coach to high-performing entrepreneurs and professionals. And what we do at The Dan Go Show is tease out the best practices of the highest-performing entrepreneurs in the world while sharing cutting-edge, evidence-based information to help you become healthier and wealthier. So if that's what you're into, you're in the right place. Click that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts so every time one of my episodes goes live, you'll be the first to know. Hey, what's up? And welcome to the podcast. In today's episode, I have Eamon Al-Abdullah, and he is the guy that CEOs go to uh, to get coached. He is literally the CEO coach. He helps uh, CEOs take their companies from one to up to 80 million, 90 million. He is uh, literally the guy that uh, they go to in order to facilitate that and also to develop the skills to do that. In today's episode, I, I got to say, it was like a cool conversation that I just had because one of the things that uh, that you have to know is that I met him a long time ago, like probably like six months ago. We actually met and became friends at a conference. Uh, so there is like a little bit of like a personal nature in terms of like the conversation that we had. And in the actual conversation, in the podcast interview, uh, we talk about uh, the top traits of a CEO. We, we actually talk about uh, what he thinks when he sees an unfit CEO and kind of like the things that he would do to get him back in shape, even though, uh, you know, even though I'm, I'm the guy for that, you know, I should be the guy for that. But yeah, he's, he actually has some pretty good advice too. Uh, he also talks about the idea of stress and also the perception of stress. And just in general, when you listen to this podcast interview, it really is a conversation with a guy who is completely self-aware. He is very introspective and probably one of the best decision makers that I have talked to in a long time. So uh, hope you enjoy this interview. Hope you enjoy the podcast. And uh, without further ado, this is uh, Eamon Al-Abdullah and can't wait to share this with you. All right, here we are with my friend, Eamon Al-Abdullah, and, uh, and something I want to preface this uh, before we get into this interview is the fact that uh, we have actually met each other uh, way before uh, this podcast interview. We were sitting beside each other at this uh, event that was called the Global Gathering, and during that time that we were having this conversation, you were literally just like blowing my mind in terms of like my how I'm running my business because I was, I was picking your brain. I, I hate the word, but I was picking your brain on, on a bunch of things that, you know, CEOs, uh, usually get wrong. And, uh, and I was kind of doing my own little pseudo podcast interview with you. And, and one thing that struck out about me or about yourself when, when I was talking to you is just how clear of a thinker that you are and how, how good you are at what you do. So, Eamon, I just want to say welcome to the podcast. Really appreciate you. And thanks for coming on. Dan, I mean, such high praise coming from you. I really appreciate that. I mean, I remember I was just as excited to meet you as uh, as anyone at that event. I was like, I'm really looking forward. I've been a long, long time fan of your content. Right before we jumped on the recording, I had mentioned that I've been going through your program and uh, the amount of energy that I'm getting just now uh, versus what I'm used to, where I'm like almost half vomiting and limping out of the gym uh, is just night and day. So I, I really appreciate what you do for for founders and CEOs and uh, really looking forward to, to this conversation. Thanks, brother. Uh, we're going to we're going to touch upon that because I do have some uh, questions about the the fitness end of things and uh, in regards to the CEOs. But the very first thing I want to uh, broach on at this very moment is you have 
an incredible backstory that not a lot of people know about. Um, I'm going to preface this, but I, I'm, I'm going to ask a question afterwards. So basically, you were in Niagara, and uh, Niagara Falls doing a vacation with your family, and out of nowhere, or maybe not out of nowhere, but the Gulf War starts, and then you end up becoming a refugee right on the spot. What the heck was going through your mind when all of this stuff was happening? Yeah. I mean, for those that don't know, um, my family and I were on vacation in Niagara Falls in Canada, and uh, we were living in Kuwait at the time, a small little country that no one really knew about. And when we go back to the airport to fly back home, they're like, all flights to Kuwait are canceled. And we're like, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, Iraq just invaded. And we're like, okay, well, like, like, can we get on the next flight? And they're like, there is no next flight. Mm-hmm. So we're like, oh, okay, this is going to be like a, you know, a couple of days, maybe a week. Um, that ended up becoming the next few years of my life. And so uh, we were refugees. My dad didn't have a work visa in Canada. There was no PayPal. There was no Venmo. There was no crypto mm-hmm. back then. This is 1991. So, I mean, there's barely internet, right? <laughs> so we're, my dad's burning through his life savings. We're trying to figure out what to do. And um, yeah, it was a very formative time for me, figuring out like, hey, like, how are we, how are we going to get the work visa? Um, I remember, you know, going from library to library, church to church, figuring out handouts, trying to figure out what's the, what is the next steps in order for us to either get back home or get a work visa in Canada. Um, luckily, over the next few years, my dad was able to get a job in uh, Philadelphia in the United States. He was able to get a work visa there. And uh, we were able to, to, to move to the United States. And in hindsight, you know, while it was a, a very tumultuous few years, it, it was a blessing in disguise. I mean, I ended up growing up in America and um, who knows how my life would have been had I, had I stayed in Kuwait. And now that I get to be, be in America and having had the career that I've had and having grown up in America, I mean, honestly, like in hindsight, it's one of the best things that could have ever happened to me and my family. Yeah. What, what were the, the lessons that you learned from seeing your dad uh, just have to scramble uh, to get your life together? I, yeah. I'm pretty sure from like, how old were you uh, back then when it was happening? So, I mean, this, this started when we were, when I, when I was three and mm. I mean, we were dealing with this until really I was eight or nine. Mm. So, I mean, this is basically just the formative moments of my childhood. And then even just hearing the stories growing up and uh, I know you're not supposed to have memories back then and whether it's from the stories or not, or just the fact that it was traumatic experiences, I still vividly remember being at Niagara Falls. I still vividly remember um, going through those experiences. So um, yeah, it's just, it, it definitely is the foundation and formative years that I went through, uh, you know, by the time we made it to America, I mean, I, we were, we were six, seven years old. Mm. And, uh, and, and you have talked before, and I'm going to paraphrase you where you were saying that, um, a CEO, uh, has to make sure that the culture that he's creating is not one that is recreated from his childhood. Yeah. Yeah. So when how exactly has that particular experience, has that, uh, has that informed you and has that shaped you into kind of like doing what you're doing right now, which is helping CEOs and coaching them? You know, um, for, for me, I, as you can imagine from my, my own background, I'm very stability driven. You know, mm-hmm. I, was, I, I didn't have that, that stable ground. We were, you know, not just because, you know, I, I had a very loving family, but we, we, we just didn't have stable ground. So we were constantly chasing that stability. So for me, when I'm building companies, when I'm uh, going through my own CEO path, a lot of the things I'm doing is stability driven. Mm. Now that's amazing 
for creating a, a, a company that, that steadily grows, but it's not great for innovation. It's not great for pushing the envelope. And so I have to create systems in place in order to push the envelope, in order to not just recreate my own childhood. I see other founders where they had a very rocky and tumultuous childhood. And so when things are going too good, they almost self-sabotage because mm. that's what they, that they grew up, that's home for them. And I see that happen all the time. Or they realize I, I couldn't rely on my parents. And so I can't rely on anyone else. I can't trust anyone else. And so I'm going to jump in and do everything myself. And in their mind, they're like, I'm just being a good founder. I'm being a good entrepreneur. But what they don't realize is they're just rehashing and really reopening wounds from their own childhood. And, and you said that uh, you actually have this like system for, uh, I guess you could say, going getting over the stability-based uh, mindset that you had as a child. Because uh, I'm, I'm condensing it a little bit, but maybe you can take us through it because you started to work at Microsoft and then you felt a pull to jump to AppSumo when they were making about like 3 million a year. And then you also made the biggest jump, which is working for yourself. Uh, owning your own company. Um, what is the, your system of just like constantly pushing your comfort level when it comes to this kind of stuff? Dan, I don't know if you remember the first time you went into the gym and you got into the, on, on the bench press and you're like, oh, like, let me throw some plates on here. <laughs> and then all of a sudden just slams down and you have to have someone run over to pull it up. Maybe that was just me. That, that, I, I, I've had that a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember that happening vividly. And I remember just sitting up on the bench, feeling so embarrassed, looking around and going, wow, like I couldn't even do it. I remember it was two 25 pound plates and uh, I couldn't even bench press that off my body. I had someone pull that off. And what I realized is that is a very good analogy for anything that you want to do in life, which is mm -hmm. you don't want to just jump on and throw two plates on the bar and immediately bench if you've never done it before. Like let's, let's do a couple push-ups first. Let's do some body weight. Uh, maybe let's do a weighted vest. Maybe let's do some incline push-up before we jump on the bench press. And then we're going to go bar and we're going to slowly, you know, it's progressive overload mm -hmm. and progressive overload has a great way of translating to business and to life. Because the question you need to ask is, well, what does 10%, 5%, 15% better look like than where I am today. And I think the key is the consistency. The key is how am I showing up every single week in order to get closer and closer. So for, for me, you know, I went, I came from a non-target school and I was able to get a job at Microsoft in a program where there's only 14 students chosen nationwide, most coming from Ivy League universities where I came from a no-name university. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen overnight. It was the progressive overload. I joined, uh, I joined programs. I became presidents of organizations. I developed the resume. I created businesses that sold. Each one of those was a progressive overload that allowed me to compete with the Harvards and Stanfords of the world. The leapfrog to AppSumo didn't happen from working at Microsoft. It happened because I was working with another entrepreneur, Charlie Hone, who was essentially Tim Ferriss's right-hand man and helping him with his book launch and working for a year to the point where when they were finally looking for a role at AppSumo, he emailed Noah and is like, you need to hire this guy before I will. So it doesn't, there aren't these giant leaps. In hindsight, you think there are these giant leaps, but when you look at the guy in the gym that's putting up three plates, I guarantee you he didn't walk into the gym yesterday. <laughs> yeah, and uh, this reminds me of a conversation I had with, with this, uh, with a musician, his name is Akira Dadan. Uh, may, maybe you've heard of him, I don't know. He does this thing called Meaning Wave. 
And uh, he has this like philosophy where he's just saying like, you want to keep one foot in stability and also one foot in danger that allows yep. you to kind of like progressive overload into the next step. And I think like the thing that a lot of people just have this uh, or have a misconception about is the idea that, oh yeah, it's just like, I, I just did a 180 turn and I just like, you know, started to run hundred million dollar companies just right off the bat. When the reality is, is that that, that is actually the process of like so many reps. A hundred percent. A hundred percent, like over and yeah. over and over and over. I'm reminded of this band in London where they were looking for gigs or anything just to pay the bills. And they found this bar that was on the side of the highway that was notorious for dealing with a lot of traffic. So people would pull off and just get a drink on the way home. And they would be playing hours on hours every single day. And they were constantly modulating their music based on the responses from whoever was showing up. Mm. And they did this for years. And those reps, the, the progressive overload that allowed them to get better and better at playing to an audience allowed them to become the Beatles. Mm. And a lot of people don't realize, they think, oh, the Beatles just exploded overnight, but it's not. It was those progressive reps that allowed them to eventually become one of the biggest bands of all time. Can you take us through kind of like, uh, well, you, you took us through a couple of them. Now, what would you say were the progressive reps that uh, took you from going to AppSumo when they were making $3 million a year? Um, exiting on your own, you know, when you got them to about 80 million a year, what would you say were those, were those steps that you were taking? You're talking about the steps required in order to grow AppSumo or the steps yeah. required well, for me to eventually step away? I would say it's like, uh, both actually the steps okay. required for you to get them to the, uh, amount of revenue that you got them to. And also the amount of like uh, self-development that you had to do for yourself in order to have the mindset and also the capability to get them there. Yeah. I mean, the great news is when I step into AppSumo at $3 million, we're, we're already experiencing product market fit. And when a company is doing anywhere from one to $5 million in revenue, depending on the business model, they typically have solved three ingredients. They know who they serve. They have a product that the customer wants and they have a repeatable promotion strategy. So those are the first three ingredients to building a seven figure business. Hmm. To get to eight figures and beyond, Dan, we need the next three ingredients. Number one is a, is, a, is a process and ideally an automated process. Number two is people to backfill that process so the founder doesn't become the bottleneck. And then the third is performance, which is what are the dials or the spreadsheets needed for the CEO to make sure that that engine is growing in a repeatable and scalable way. So those, those really those six ingredients allow a business to start to approach 10 million and beyond. Now to get too close to 100 million, which is you know when I sit down, we were we were approaching 80 million, we were doubling year over year. <laughs> the last three is planning, psychology, and then the last one is protection. So planning is a function of hey, what what got us here is fantastic. What are we going to do in order to take us to the next level? And and that requires analyzing your strategy, analyzing the the environment, and going well. What is the highest impact thing we could do for our customers given our existing assets? Said another way, how do we get everything we can out of everything we've got? Then it's psychology, because oftentimes either the founder or the CEO is burnt out. You, you tend to have a lot of team members at this point. So making sure they're focused on the mission and not focused on politics internally. And then lastly is protection. So those nine ingredients allow a company to really go from zero to $100 million in revenue. And... Uh, with AppSumo, we were launching hundreds of companies. So I got to see at a high level, almost like a watchtower view of mostly the SaaS industry, but really the industry in overall of which companies were working and which ones weren't. 
I got to see it at AppSumo, which things were working, which ones weren't. And then lastly, I was able to, you know, obviously now I'm, I'm working with all these CEOs. Now, in terms of the leapfrog, Dan, you know, we were approaching 100 million in revenue. And I say that there's really three phases of a company's growth. There's the startup, there's the scale up, there's the grow up. Startup is about zero to five, which is really about product creation. Scale up is from five to 100 million, which is about company creation. And then 100 million and beyond is legacy protection, legacy creation. Mm. Um, I'm terrible at the startup. I hate the legacy, the, the grow up, but I'm, I love the scale up. I love company creation. So to me, I recognize, I'm like, look, if we're doubling year over year, we're going to be knocking on the door of hundred million pretty soon. So, you know, I reached out to Noah, reach out to the board and I go, Hey, it's probably time for us to start looking for a new CEO because, uh, you know, I mean, this has obviously been a great ride, but you know, we're, we're going to be knocking on this door pretty soon and I'm not the person that's going to take us to the next level. What what went into that decision? Because uh, obviously you're on a sort of like rocket ship, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you see this company go into 100 million. Uh, the normal person would be like, all right, well, I'm just going to take on new skills and I'm just going to learn how to do this. Like, how how exactly do you have the self-awareness to be like, I, I, I don't want to do this and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be out? Well, I mean, I had the luxury of working at, at Microsoft prior, right? Mm -hmm. I knew what I knew what big companies mean, right? And you're, you're transitioning from hiring the leaders to now thinking about HR compliance and tax regulatory. It's a completely different skill set. Um, you're going from, hey, how do I build this team from scratch to how do I make sure that we're staying focused on the way to either an IPO or an exit or whatever the ultimate goal is for the business. Mm -hmm. And to me, those are completely different skill sets. And it's not that I, not, not that you can't learn the skill, just like a founder can't learn the skill to create a company and, and manage people. But you also have to be honest with like, what, what do you get most excited about? Yeah. And I know a lot of founders that reach out to me for coaching and I'm like, no, you should hire a CEO because you actually enjoy creation. You enjoy getting the thing off the ground, hire a CEO and then start an R and D department. So that way you can go and continue to tinker and build and be an artist and let someone else pick up the clipboard and be the coach off the court. Mm. What do you feel excites you right now? Um, so we are we are skipping a little bit of a part. I, I do want to get back to um, yeah. your process from you know, let's just say leaving AppSumo and doing your own thing. Um, but what would you say excites you right now about your own business? Well, I, I love that I get a chance to work direct with some of the coolest CEOs in the world. I mean, uh, like I, I work with some of the most the smartest. I, I, have, I have, I'm in a very fortunate position that I get sort of get to choose and pick the clients that I work with, many of which are the individuals that have like check marks next to their name that didn't need to buy it. Um, <laughs> so like that, those are a lot of my clients, but, but more importantly are the ones that have four followers that are running businesses on the path to a billion dollars. And neither, both of them are incredibly smart. So the fact that I get to, to pick and choose the clients that I work with, I get to help them avoid some of the, the pain and frustration that I dealt with and avoid some of the sleepless nights. Like honestly, Dan, it's what I wish I had on the path. I, I went through so much scar tissue trying to figure out the path to hundred million mm. that had I had this path, I feel like I could have done it in three years instead of six. And what would you say that, uh, that path would be? So let's just say like, I'm, I'm a CEO right now. Um, I'm actually, we can even use like myself as an example. Like I, I've gone myself from like zero to one right now. The The next goal is to get myself from like one to five. The next goal after that is get get myself from like five to 10. 
-hmm. Now, if you were to, let's just say, learn from your mistakes and and kind of like condense that time to get there, uh, what were some things that you would uh, advise, uh, let's just say like someone myself or or even like another CEO? Yeah. I mean, let's just use you as an example because then it's the most tangible and also the most valuable for you. So it feels like you've nailed at least the first step. It feels like you mostly work with, with entrepreneurs. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So it feels like you've mostly nailed the first question. Now, the second question is, do you feel like you've nailed your offering in a way that's scalable, repeatable, and actually checks the boxes for those individuals? Hmm. Like, is that a red, green, or yellow in terms of how you've, you've checked that box for them? Well, if we're, if we're talking about me and, and, and I'm, I'm literally turning this podcast into like a pseudo coaching session for me, which is, we we can go, we can make it pure coaching and you can cut out whatever you need. Yeah. No, no. I just, uh, I I just love it. I love having a podcast for that reason. Um, Mm -hmm. well for me, okay. So, uh, right now we have like a service-based, um, uh, company. We do really well with the entrepreneurs. Uh, I believe the offer that we have is on point. Like we, we kind of know our, our customers like pain points, what they want, struggles, everything like that. Now, do I want to like scale this particular business to let's just say 10 million? The answer is no. Yep. I want to do a kind of like what you're doing, which is like picking and choosing the people I get to work with, uh, you know, and, and, and just not necessarily trying to scale this like service-based business because I, I can see the, the horizon already where I'm like, I, I just don't want to deal with it. You know, I just yeah. don't want to deal with it. You know, it's the decision that I'm making. So the the thing that I am thinking of, like at this very moment, is, well, um, what is you know particularly scalable if I wanted to take myself to like ten million? Is it like coaching? Is it courses? Uh, I don't think it's even maybe it's both. I don't know, a combination of two, but more so I'm kind of like looking at uh, partnering with say like an operator or something like that, and doing something like product wise. We actually talked a little bit about kind of like you know launching an AI. Uh, right. Yeah, I bought it myself. Um, but but something of that nature, where it's like jumping into something that would be more scalable, but doing doing it more so with like someone who is like an operator, so I can work mm-hmm. on the thing that I'm a genius at, which is uh, content creation, marketing, things of that nature. One hundred percent. And I honestly think that that's probably the, the the number one thing that you should be spending your time on is what is the offering that I feel like I could be the best in the world at that energizes me that actually has a good economic engine because. I think that the third, the third level, which is promotion, is actually something that you're really good at. I think you're. It's clear how authentic your content is because you you basically create it yourself, Thank you. and how good the content is and how shareable it is. And so, as long as you're able to drive it into an engine, into a product that gets you excited, that to me I feel is really going to help you get to five million just just by that. That's probably you're probably experiencing the friction, Dan, because there's maybe a misalignment in the offering. And you're like, I don't want to take the current offering to 5 million, yeah. but maybe there's a supplement line. Maybe there's the AI bot. Maybe mm-hmm. there's something else that you're like, I actually would feel more excited about taking that to 5 million. So that, the friction is yeah. probably self-imposed. Yeah, I would say, well, it's, it is because I like, I know what a service-based industry takes from kind of like the previous experience I had with like a gym. Right. And, and when I look at that model, I'm just like, I don't necessarily like want to go into that model. Um, for myself, I, I particularly would love to, uh, to actually just keep on doing exactly what I'm doing like right now. Yeah. Um, thankfully I'm not using like AI or chat GPT for like any of my content. I mean, like I'm not, I'm not touching that stuff. It's all me. And, and that's the thing. It's like, if I were to just like sit in front of a computer and just like create content videos and like do podcasts with freaking smart people like yourself, 
I'm living a really good life. And if I can actually create a product that can get myself up to like five to 10 million in regards to that, while I'm doing what I'm doing, that's, that's like the perfect life for me. hundred percent. I mean, let's just use supplements as an example. Like I'm yeah. buying the Dango supplement line. Yeah. And so then you're just going out and just creating content that just pitching and, and, and submitting the, the Dango supplement line. Mm-hmm. And that's infinitely scalable, right? Yeah. It doesn't require Dan's time. So that becomes the question. And I think that's, you know, I, I think that's one of the main things that you have to ask yourself is just what, the, what type of $5 million business do I want to create? Mm. And when it comes to the creator aspect of things, because like you have become a creator over, I think like the past like year, how, how long have you been, been at it for right now? So uh, videos I've been doing since um, September of last year, and okay. then Twitter probably been doing a little bit over a year. Okay. And then what exactly like has your experience been uh, kind of shifting into this like creator mode for yourself? So my hypothesis was always number one, content is going to take me two years to figure out Hmm. at a minimum. Number two, it's going to require a lot more time than I think. Number three, I'm not going to see an ROI for at least a year. And so my goal always was how do I minimize my, going back to strategy, minimize Hmm. my input, maximize my output. So I created guardrails and constraints on content. I never do more than one to two hours of recording for video per month. That's it. I never do more than 15 minutes of writing per morning. Mm -hmm. So between those two constraints, I have seen, you know, I mean, I've gone from 3,000 to 19,000 on Twitter. Um, I've gone from zero to 9,000 on Instagram. And so I'm seeing, obviously, like I'm not anywhere close to the virality, but I'm in a very niche space. I only write for seven-figure CEOs. Um, and number two, I haven't been putting a lot of time and effort into it. The, the goal being, Dan, that eventually two to three years from now, when I do need to tap into that well and do need to tap into that audience, I, I'm not starting from scratch. I have the foundations in place. I have the teams in place. Um, I know what works, what resonates with the audience, what doesn't. So that way I can really throw more gasoline on the fire and go from, let's say, 19,000 to 100,000 within the course of a year. Yeah. And, uh, and I see you're currently doing it. Um, you know, I've seen a few of your tweets. I've actually like shared a couple of them with my friends. I remember, um, uh, you posted this tweet about, uh, the four levels of wealth. That's right. <laughs> it's like, I think it was like, it was like watch, uh, it was like, uh, no watch, Apple watch, uh, Rolex watch, and Patek, and then no watch. Afterwards. No watch again. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, I think you're doing a fantastic job on the creator side. Now, um, have you kind of like learned anything about yourself as uh, kind of like going into the the role of just like being a complete marketer for yourself and also kind of like running the CEO business that you're running right now? Well, I've learned how important it is to create content. Hmm. I think it refines your thinking. It allows the audience to challenge your thoughts and allows you to see like what actually resonates with your audience. So I think that every CEO should be doing some form of content creation and actually being able to have their thoughts challenged in real time. Mm -hmm. I think that probably you've seen yourself just the value of content in order to build and scale your audience. And it's, it's funny. I've had, I've had, I've had a client reach out to me, like one of the most famous CEOs in the world, reach out to me to be a coaching client from a post that had nine likes. So like, it, it's, it's about the, how, how are you writing a love letter to that individual mm-hmm. rather than the virality of the content? So you got to ask yourself, what is the purpose of this content? And rather, who am I writing it for versus let me just create generic content that's just going to go viral. Yeah. I, I was having this conversation with, um, uh, this guy, Matt, 
Bertulli. He's the CEO of, uh, of Lomi and Pelicase mm-hmm. uh, or Pelicase. And then, um, he was just telling me about the fact that, you know, when he's creating content, he's like, I don't care about how many likes it gets. I don't yeah. care about like where it goes. I actually just care about if it is talking to the person that I want it to be talking to. And, uh, and we use this kind of example. It's like, Hey, let's just say you have a newsletter and it's like 500 people, 500 CEOs on the newsletter actually equals 5,000 people, regular people just yeah. for what he's doing on his, uh, on his, uh, newsletter. Mm. Now, when you're um, coaching these uh, CEOs and you're choosing them based on kind of like their traits, what, what are some things that you're looking for? You know, when I went through hi- the hiring process of scaling an AppSumo, I asked myself three questions with every new hire, which is number one, was this person born to do this job? Hmm. Number two, if I was stuck on a layover with this individual, would I be excited? And then number three, would I be afraid if that individual joined a competitor? And those three litmus tests made sure that I wasn't cutting any quarters or sacrificing the standard uh, when I was hiring. And so I took those same lessons to the clients that I'm working with. So number one, are they coachable? Uh, Sometimes I jump on calls with CEOs and I could tell they're so fixed in their ways that whatever I say is just not going to get through them. So it's probably not a good fit. Number two, do they actually want and need to scale? A lot of CEOs actually want to stay in like they'll jump on a call and they're like, yeah, I'm actually thinking about launching this new thing. I'm like, I'm not the zero to one guy. I'm not going to help you get this thing off the ground. Uh, I'm the individual that's going to take the three, the $3 million thing and take it to 30 uh, or take it to a hundred. Um, so are they coachable? Do they actually need my coaching? And then lastly, I still use the, uh, the litmus test, which is, would I be excited if, if we went on a trip together? Would I be excited? Because if I'm not excited to jump on, jump on a plane with them and sit next to them for a, you know, a, a five hour plane and a five hour conversation, I'm going to see that calendar invite on my calendar and I'm just going to dread it. And so I actually look forward to every one of my calls. I'm like, oh, I can't wait. can't believe I'm mm-hmm. talking to this individual. I'm super pumped for that call. And so that's, uh, those are the three litmus tests that I, that I layer in. And consequently, my calendar is only full with meetings that I'm excited about. Would you, uh, would, have you ever had to fire a client? before? Well, I've had um, certain clients where the goal was to get me fired. So mm. I had one client where the goal was actually to help like help them hire a CEO. And uh, I was basically navigating them and walking to, through that process. And luckily, they were able to find an incredible CEO. I spent maybe a month helping that CEO get onboarded. And then I'm like, my job is done here. And so it was almost like we were building right from the get-go a firing component. And like, that's my goal is like, I don't want to be your coach forever. My goal is to like, let's get you to a hundred million and then let's pass you off to someone else. Cause I'm, I'm not the coach after a hundred. I've had one client reach out and then he's like, I'm at 300 million. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not the right guy. Mm-hmm. And so like, let me pass you off to someone else. So, something that uh, strikes me about you is two things. Actually, one is your level of self-awareness to say no to the things that you just are not equipped to do or don't even want to do mm-hmm. Two, I would actually say is like zero greediness, zero. Like w- most people would take these opportunities and be like, I'm just going to build myself up. I'm going to make so much money. I'm going to do this. But, but in your case, it's like, I, I don't have that need. What I want in my life is I want, well, from my perspective, it's like, I want to enjoy the time that I'm doing my work. I want to enjoy right. my life. Um, now, we talked about kind of like the aspect of like coachability, right? Cause like when we're, when we're coaching clients, it's like, 
Are you going to listen to what I say? Are you going to take action on the things I'm doing now? What are some things that you look for? Or actually, what are some ways that one person can make themselves, uh, let's just say, more coachable? Because I do, th- I do feel like that is the aspect that separates the people who are going to succeed and be the biggest successes in life and people who are just going to like stay fixed in exactly where they are. I, I don't know if you can learn humility or if life has to teach you humility, but the ability <laughs> yeah. to go, I don't know everything, I think is just something that every CEO needs to have because let's, let's use the opposite of humility. The opposite of humility, let's say, is arrogance as a, as a mm. placeholder. Arrogance is, I know everything. No one can teach me anything. Well, if that's the case, then you've, you've reached your peak. Mm. There's nowhere to grow from here. And so if you have that mentality, you've reached your peak. No one can tell you anything. You know everything. What am I doing here? Why are we jumping on this call? So um, I think that if a CEO is, has a desire, whether they have the ambition for themselves or they have ambition for their vision, they have to come from a place of humility and go, there's things that I don't know yet. I haven't walked this path. I've never climbed this mountain. And maybe there's a Sherpa out there that's done this 12 times. Mm. And if that's the case, I'm probably going to defer to the Sherpa. Having helped, you know, walk Mount Everest multiple times um, and listen to that individual rather than think I know it all. Yeah, that's a that's a massive one. And uh, and if you don't have a humility now, then the world is going to basically show you what what humility is later yeah. on. <laughs> I remember uh, I had this uh, client or not, he wasn't even a client. We didn't even accept him. But basically he said, hey, Dan, I want to join your coaching program, but I still want to do keto and I still want to. Uh, do this specific workout and I still want to keep on doing things the way that I've been doing them. And then we're just like, well, this is like not going to work out. If you, if you're, yeah. if you're, if you want to keep on, here? yeah, exactly. Like what am I doing here? And if you want to keep on doing exactly what you're doing, you're going to keep on getting exactly what you've been getting. Right. So you're coming to us to actually, you know, make something different for yourself. Now, every system is perfectly designed to get the outputs it's currently giving. And so can you, if can you, you expand unhappy, on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, where, where you are standing right now with your business, with your life, with your body, with your thoughts, every little, every piece is a direct reflection of a series of decisions and systems that you've made leading to this exact conversation for the fact for your audience, them listening to this right now. And so every system is perfectly designed for the outputs that it's currently providing. Mm. And so if you are unhappy with your body, then the system is broken. If you are unhappy with your thoughts, then that system is, if you're unhappy with your business, the system is broken. And so you have to recognize that your system right now is perfectly designed to give you what you're currently getting. And if you want to change it, if you want to improve, the system has to change. And so that individual that's like, I want to stick to keto and do my same workouts. Cool. If you don't want to change anything, you're going to get the exact same results you're getting right now. But if you want, you know, longevity and the things that you teach, Dan, you're going to have to follow my system. Yeah, and and when it comes down to to systems in general, I, I actually I love to use the uh, aspect of like hardware and software. It's like your body is the hardware, uh, and you can constantly update it. It may not be as fast as getting a new computer, but you can still update your body. You can update your hardware, and you can also update your software. And I know that you're a, a supremely voracious reader. I, I know that that's like one of your superpowers. Now. In your life, what would you say are some of the most important systems that you have in order to thrive in what you're doing? I think the most important system that I do is I, I actually created this journal. It's called the Everest Journal. Hmm. And, and it's basically, an, I mean, it's nothing special, but it's a 90-day journal. 
And I think that 90 day journals, the reason it's 90 days is because 90 days is 1% of 25 years. So if you have a 25 year vision, could you make 1% progress towards that 25 year vision every quarter, every 90 days? And so at the end of your 25 year vision, you could have a hundred books sitting on your bookshelf, one through a hundred on your progress. And now what, what, what happens with the, the Everest journal is every morning you're waking up and you're asking, have you completed your morning routine? What is your 90 day goal? What are three things you can do this week in order to get closer to that goal? And then what's one thing that you can do to make some incremental progress on that one goal? And so when you look at a 25-year vision, it seems so insurmountable and overwhelming. When you break it down to that 90-day goal where it's just 1%, and then you break it down to that one-day thing, what can I do that one? I mean, I've built six-figure businesses with 30 minutes a day, and I've built seven-figure businesses with an hour and a half a day. Mm -hmm. And so- the question is, what is the small incremental thing that I can do every single day in order to make progress on my goal? I mean, you're you're obviously in the health and fitness industry. If you got motivated and disciplined and want to get excited about building a body, you don't go into the gym for 20, the next 24 hours. It's about the 30 minutes you're doing every single day for the next three years. And I think that the key, the ability to show up no matter what, and you know, for me, this is my anchor, is my journal. But mm-hmm. I mean, you could I, before this, I used the moleskin every morning and go, well, what is the one thing that I could do to make incremental progress on my goals, whether that's health, wealth, or happiness? Can we have access to that Everest journal? Are you share, are you, are you like, are you selling this on Shopify or, or, or anything I, like I that? I am, but it sells out every quarter. I, I need to, <laughs> I need to, I need to purchase more, but they're currently handmade in Colombia. So yeah. like, I, I think I've outgrown my manufacturer. Okay. So, um, Yes, I will. I will send a link. I'm, I'm in the process of ordering a next batch. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, there's nothing special about it. You can pick up any 90 day journal. The key is just having that 15 minute habit every morning in order mm-hmm. to what is that progress that I'm making? What's the uh, 15 minute habit that you have every single morning? Well, I mean, that's the journal, right? It's the okay, minute. so the journal is the habit. Okay, the gotcha. journal is it's the anchor. I mean, to me, it's the anchor for everything else. I mean, I have a have a morning routine that I use to to build towards that. Like to me, I mean, my morning routine, typically I'm getting motivated to get out of bed because I got to go pee. So I get out, I pee, then I weigh myself. So that way it's consistent, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I weigh myself. My skill is right next to, to the bathroom, brushing my teeth. I'm grabbing my planner because usually my planner is in my office and I'm going downstairs. And then I'm playing something called audio energy, which is mm-hmm. either a podcast, motivational music, prayer music, something that's just going to wake me up. Um, I do the, the water with element every morning yeah. while I'm making coffee. So now I'm listening to audio energy while I'm making my water and my coffee. Then I'm grabbing a pliability mat, which is one of my favorite mats, like a lot thicker than a, uh, than a yoga mat in order for like my morning stretches. I actually go through your stretching routine. Every morning I take it outside to my deck and I'm getting sun while I'm stretching. I do 10 pushups and then I'm putting my phone away. I'm turning off the audio energy. Dan, that takes me 10 minutes, right? And now I'm sitting down and I'm doing either five minutes of writing, reading and planning. Uh, I'm either doing five minutes, 10 minutes, or 15 minutes of each, depending on the day. And Dan, I mean, within 20 minutes, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm, I'm energized. I'm caffeinated. I'm fired up. I'm stretched. I've got the sun and I've got my planner right in front of me, ready to go. And, and now I can, I'm ready to attack the day. And I've been doing this, I mean, some version of this for the, for the last 10 plus years. And is this something that you would uh, recommend for CEOs? Cause I do know that, um, you know, when you coach CEOs, like exercise is like a, a major portion of, uh, of what you implement in terms of like what they do. Um, is the morning routine, the one that you use, the one that you employ with them, or do you actually have them like create their own? 
I think everyone has to figure out what are they trying to optimize for? Mm. I have some CEOs that are parents and they're like, I'm optimizing time with my kids and the time with my kids is in the morning. So no, I'm not going to optimize the morning routine. That's going to get them right into the office and go heavy work. Like we're going to optimize for, no, we're going to have breakfast with, with the kids and we're going to optimize for what is important in their season of life. I have other CEOs that are like, I like, I don't like to work out first thing in the morning. I'm too groggy. Um, I'd like to work out a little, little later on in the day. Some people like to work out at six o'clock cause that's when their friends can work out. So every, what we have to ask is what are we optimizing for time with kids, deep creative work, content creation. And then we have to formulate an ideal day for each individual CEO, depending on what they're optimizing for. But the, the two inputs for any CEO, I mean, the CEO is essentially just the chief investment officer mm-hmm. for their business, but also for themselves. And what are the two versions of investment? You're investing your time or you're investing your money. And so the output that you're getting is a direct reflection of either your pocketbook or your calendar. I, we were talking about kind of like YouTube clips and like all this stuff, stuff before <laughs> we were talking. We got like a shit ton right now. I, I'm, I'm sending <laughs> this to my editor. We're, we're, okay. Good. We're, oh my God. Like the, the frameworks that you're sharing are amazing. Now, you know, still sticking with kind of like the, the fitness of a CEO. Uh, what are your thoughts when you see a CEO who is, let's just say like, um, you know, out of shape, um, maybe overweight, obese, hmm. What are the things that uh, are going through your mind? And also, like, are there some things that you're recommending them to do uh, for their bodies? Because we all know that the the mind basically lives in the body. And this is the thing that I do for my founders, my CEOs as well. Uh, we do that specifically. But you're a CEO coach. But, like, how do you square that circle when you see an unfit CEO? Yeah, I mean, I, I think health and wealth or health and, and fitness is the foundation for wealth. So I think if a CEO doesn't have that foundation of health, it's hard for them to pour back into the business. So, I mean, I did have one CEO that was, you know, on the path to morbid obesity Mm. and we had to determine, well, what's, it's hard for them to go from zero to one from a fitness standpoint. And to me, I would, I, I much rather usually them either overeating or, um, feeling out of shape or not having the energy to pour into the business is a psychological issue yeah. rather than a motivation or discipline issue. So yeah. we got to fix the psychology first, which is number one, where is the stress coming from? And stress tends to be from a misalignment between the head and the heart. Mm. And what we ended up realizing is he had raised a bunch of VC money. They wanted him to scale and grow and he didn't. And so that stress was manifesting as extra pounds on his body. And, and so what we needed to do was have the tough conversations with the VCs and actually, we ended up giving up a lot, giving a lot of the money back, and saying like, "Look, this is not the type of company that I want to create." So, step one was getting to the core source of where is the stress and really the overeating coming from. So, we had the tough conversation. It was just a load off of his back. He was immediately able to give the money back. He realized that a lot of the CEOs they had kind of already written off the business anyway, so like it was a lot easier for them to have the conversation anyway. And then he was able to focus on a business that was cash flow positive. And this was funny. This was in 20, this was right before the VC, everything dried up. Mm-hmm. And so that one decision allowed him actually to survive because now he has a cash flowing business where he doesn't need to rely on endless VC funding. Number two is we had to find something, that, an outlet outside of work. He was working like 80 hours a week. And I'm like, well, what's one hobby that you really enjoy? And he, he loved jujitsu and he had stopped doing it. So I'm like, let's, let's just get back into jujitsu. He's like, you know, I'm out of shape. I don't feel, I don't, I'm like, let's just, let's just do it. Let's just go to the beginner's class. 
once a Saturday. And it, it was, he had been wanting to get back for years and he'd been putting it off. And then finally we just pushed himself until he got to show up to the Saturday class. And it was so much better than you remembered it. It was a beginner's class. And all of a sudden now he's doing three days a week. Now all of a sudden, Dan, he's got a reason to, to, to be motivated. We'd eliminated his biggest source of, of stress. Now he needs to lose some weight because he, he wants to be more mobile on the mats. And so he's like, all right, what are we doing? We're walking a little bit more every day. We're eating a little bit healthier. We're going to jujitsu three times a week. And now we can continuously ramp up. We go back to this beginning of this interview, the progressive overload. We're mm-hmm. not trying to do you know, a CrossFit workout on day one. We're doing a little bit at a time. We're doing a beginner class on Saturday. We're going from 2,000 steps a day to 4,000 steps. Um, we're, we're, we're maybe dropping the dessert. We're, we're replacing the dessert at the end of the night for a fruit bowl with some honey and some almond butter. And so those progressive overload a little bit every single day just allowed him to now. I mean, he's he's dropped, I think, 150 pounds at this point. His business is doing wow. better than ever. Wow. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's been been awesome to see that transformation. Something I love about what you just said is uh, the fact that you sought the cause because the the weight gain is a symptom. The overeating is a symptom. And what most people try to do is they try to attack the symptom rather than attacking what is actually causing the symptoms to be there in the first place. And something that I realized about overeating or let's just say like having an aptitude for always wanting to drink alcohol or wanting to always uh, kind of like do things to numb yourself, like all of these things are just like distractions. All these things are just distracting you from the decisions that you're not making that are causing these problems in your life. And uh, going back to kind of like what you're saying about jujitsu, I was actually just like searching uh, one-on-one jujitsu um, private lessons before uh, we were getting on this. I like That's the synchronicity, awesome. but yeah, man, it's like, I love jujitsu. I just hate the injuries. You know, yeah. the, the injuries are just uh, horrible. Are you still doing jujitsu right now? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm recovering from a concussion, so it's been six months since oh I've God. been on the mats. The yeah, same I'm one? Actually, same one. Yeah, still, it's, okay. it's still, still an issue. I mean, um, so yeah, still recovering from that. And but I'm, I am looking for privates actually, like over the next month. Yeah. So uh, for the same exact reason, yeah. uh, I, I love it. I love being on the mats. I, I really enjoy it. Um, and I'm trying to get back sooner than ra- later. They did tell me to try to keep a year away from anything that could cause, mm-hmm. but I feel like with a private, with a, when you're rolling with a black belt, the chance of injury is just so low, which is kind of ironic. <laughs> As opposed to rolling with a white belt, who's just yeah. trying to thrash you <laughs> That's right. all over the place. Yeah. I didn't realize you're still uh, dealing with that. And, and actually during that time that, um, you know, we, we were having that conversation, uh, you mentioned the fact that, uh, the things that you want to take your CEOs through is actually through, uh, like tactical shooting courses. Like w- what is the draw between like the tactical shooting courses and, uh, and what draws you to that? Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite quotes from Theocletes is actually like the society that separates its scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards <laughs> and it's fighting done by fools. It's, it's, I mean, it just gets to my core, Dan. And, and I think that that's really speaking to the core, which is how do you have an individual that doesn't just live in the library, but then understands how, what their body is capable of? I mean, you do, you've done jujitsu, like even with the injuries, you kind of walk away going, well, at least I know what my limits are. And like when you're, you know, having a hard workout and you're feeling sore, like I enjoy the soreness. I enjoy knowing what the limits are of my body. And so to me, understanding who you are as an individual, um, whether that's through jujitsu or that's through, through tactical shooting, um, these are all areas where you are able to push the envelopes of who you are. And it's hard to feel stressed at it when there's a 20% revenue drop when you're getting choked out in the morning, (laughs) 
you know? And so, you know, I think one of the things that my team complimented me on when we were going through the pandemic and dealing with all this uncertainty was just the, the calming presence that I brought to the company. Like everyone was worried, like, are we going to go through layoffs? Are we going to go through? And my goal was we are hundred percent not doing layoffs. I'm going to do everything that it's going to take, whether it's cutting my own salary or figuring out what do we need to do in order to not have a single person laid off during that entire time. And just like the ability to be that deep keel in the stormy waters, I think is really critical for a CEO. And, and I honestly attribute a lot of that, Dan, to jujitsu, to tactical shooting. You know, when your stress is elevated and you're competing against a Delta Force operator and you're like, this person's just outrunning, outrunning me in every single drill, um, that stress directly translates to, well, you know, if this marketing campaign didn't do as well, like who, who really cares? Mm. And when it comes to stress, something that I always think about is like, when stress comes also is like your perception of stress. So if this like company is like the only thing that you have in your life, then the perception of stress is going to be so high because it's literally life or death. But if you're kind of like getting stressed out on the mats and getting choked out by some 14 year old kid, you know, who, who's <laughs> obviously, who's obviously like, we're getting personal there, Dan. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> you know, just like my PTSD is, is coming right now. So, right. Yeah. So, but when you're actually putting yourself in stressful situations, whether it's like in the gym or in on the mats or in the kickboxing ring or even in uh, tactical shooting, it kind of like puts things into perspective. Like the things mm -hmm. that you hold stressful are not really that stressful at all. Uh, they're really kind of just like just they're just situations that, you know, number one, you want to have an I wouldn't say an unemotional attachment, but you just want to be able to be objective about it because that's yeah. actually they say that the, the thing that comes to mind is like they say that the quickest way to drown is to start panicking mm. right and that i know that from just surfing it's like the more that you panic the more that you get held down by a wave and the more that you kind of just like start stressing about it the more that you're actually taking oxygen away and the more that you're giving yourself the chance of drowning right and 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 that's the thing it's like when you're in these situations with let's just say like you know let's just say quote unquote like high stakes when it comes to your business it's mm. not the person that panics it's actually the person who is objective about what's happening in the first place 100% i mean to me when i'm i'm stressed and i'm panicked i'm looking at you know for instance i'm i'm training with a former navy seal and i'm hearing stories about like you know his you know his individuals his, his best friends that ended up passing away and I'm like, that's a stressful situation. Like I have zero right to be stressed about a, a down revenue month when there's individuals out there that are, you know, uh, fighting for our freedoms. So the question that I need to ask is how do I take a perspective and a long-term view of, Hey, like we're going to survive this. This is like, no, nobody's life is on the line. Um, you know, nobody's is, is taking shots at us. Uh, we're just having to write an email. And so, so uh, I think that the more that you can have perspective around what is actually causing that stress, the easier it will be for you to then have that objective mindset and make a, a more informed decision from a long-term view rather than from a panicked one. Beautiful. And, um, and this kind of veers a little bit into uh, your decisions that you've made in your life to go from, let's just say Microsoft uh, to working with Tim Ferriss's right-hand man, to working for Absimone, and now to working for yourself. So I want to ask you, what exactly does the corner office mean to you? 
Yeah. Um, I, I remember one of the things that I, I thought I wanted to become a lawyer in, mm-hmm. in college. And one of the best things that I could have ever done was ask one of my lawyer friends, my friends, I was a lawyer, like, Hey, do you mind if I shadow you for a day? And being a lawyer is very different than what they show on TV. And it, all it took was one day work, seeing the way a lawyer works to realize that reality is very different than the fantasy. Mm-hmm. And it's this concept of dating your career before you get married to it. And I've taken that across my entire career, which is how are you looking at the corner office and going, do I envy this individual's life? So at Microsoft, there's a lot of very successful individuals. Do I want that corner office view? Do I want that life? Um, and so when I'm constantly evaluating you know, our peers, when I'm constantly evaluating the different paths in life, there's nothing wrong with any of them. But the more that you can be in alignment with who you are and what you want from the day-to-day versus the, the life that you're building, how do you make sure that the system that you're creating gets you the output that you're looking for? How do you ensure that the career path that you're on or the business that you're creating leads to the corner office where you enjoy sitting in that desk? And uh, again, I have to point out your, your incredible amount of like self-awareness and your decision-making. Your, your, I, I would call it to say like you cannot make great decisions without knowing yourself first without knowing exactly what you stand for. And and that's something that I see with you uh, in spades. And that's something that I respect about you. Um, I I appreciate that. I definitely want to unpack that because to me, I think this is one of the most critical things that an individual, particularly a CEO can do. Because if you think about it, there's really like three elements of an individual or of a a business. There's the, the, the heart, the head, and the hands. And when you feel when you're feeling stress, we talked about this, your head and your heart are in misalignment and your hands are doing things that, you know, intuitively are not in line with what you deeply want. And if you can challenge your thoughts, the thoughts, a, a challenged thought is so much easier to overcome than a challenged action. If you've already taken the business down the path, it's much more difficult to change course rather than to challenge the thought as a pen on paper. So your thoughts are actually the MVP for action. And so the more that you can deeply think about what is the, what does the heart want? What does the head want? Then we can worry about what the hands are going to do. So if you can have the heart, the head, the head and the hands all in alignment, that to me is the ultimate success where everything is in, in alignment, where you're an ultimate flow and where you are on the path where, you know, Hey, this is, this is the direction that I want to take the next 25 years. And how do you get yourself to, or get to that questioning of thought or what questions do you ask yourself Mm -hmm. to get to that answer? You have to always challenge your assumptions. Mm. I think that oftentimes we have assumptions in our life where we just take these truths to be self-evident when we really shouldn't. A great example of that is if I have more money, I will be more happy. And so I should keep working or I should scale this business because with more money equals more happiness. So let's let's question that thought. Is that true? Well, yeah, why wouldn't it be? If I had more money, I'd definitely be more happy. Well, it's like, how much happier? It's like, I don't know. Well, it's like, well, there was a moment in time where you had half of half as much money as you have right now. 
Are you twice as happy? No, actually I'm not. I, I was actually maybe just as happy with $400 in my pocket as I was with $400,000 in my pocket. And so if I'm not a hundred times happier, what makes me think that I will be a hundred times happier with a hundred times more money? And so challenging each one of these assumptions allows you to then decide, well, then should I keep taking this action? And I think the more that you can continuously challenge those thoughts, the easier it will be for you to have your life in alignment with what you actually truly want. Yeah. And one of the things I ask myself as well, when it comes to the things that I want is like, do I want this because I want this or do I want this because I see someone else having this? Huge. And that's another great question is I ask, do I, if I pursue this and I never could tell anyone about it, would I still want it? And if I could never tell anyone about it, that I'm doing it for others, I'm not doing it for myself. I'm not allowed to post about it on social media. I'm not allowed anyone to know about it. It's hundred percent just for me. So like these questions are so critical for you to get to the core root of your hardware and your software of what you truly want. And if you're not constantly asking your, these questions, you're not going through whether it's journaling or whether you're talking to yourself or recording voice notes or even recording your own personal podcast, if you're not truly becoming a scientist of yourself, then it becomes so easy for you to just become a feather in the wind. That was powerful. I like that. I just like felt a moment right there and I just have to give myself like a second, dude. Okay. So that said, what would you say are the things that you do that if you told no one about it, they would just enjoy doing? I mean, I, I do a lot of things that I, I almost tell no one do. I mean, I almost yeah. post, I, I never post about my tactical shooting exploits. I mean, I, I, I think I only saw it cause you were on my close friends list. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I rarely tell anyone about it. And for me, that's something that like I enjoy doing. And the fact that I'm able to, um, really work on that skill. It's been something that I've been working on for 15 years and the ability to perform, you know, to, to, sh you know, keep up on stress drills with special force operators, I think is something that I'm very proud of. Mm -hmm. Um, fitness, you know, the, like I go to the gym, all the time. And like, I'm never posting about it. I just enjoy that process. Reading. I read almost every single morning and I'm a voracious reader of books and I love it. And it's something that it, whether I'm, I'm, whether I never told anyone about it, I would still do it. And I think that for the most part, my entire day, my entire week, my entire month is a direct reflection of things that I enjoy. Trips. There's so many trips that I go on that I never post about on social media. There are, um, so many relationships that I have and friendships that I have where, I mean, we, we, we're, I'm lucky to take a single photo with some of my best friends for a year. You know, we're hanging out all the time and we're just net, we never post about it. So that to me lets me know that I'm doing things for myself, for my psyche, for my own psychology, rather than, Hey, what looks good on social media? That's beautiful. Now, if you were to, um, say anything to the eight year old Eamon who, uh, who's, going through such uncertainty and going through this instability in his life. Uh, what are some things that you would say to him? Iron sharpens iron. This chaos is what creates you. I think that the reason that the gym is so powerful is it's a perfect mm -hmm. example of pushing yourself, creating stress, and allowing yourself to improve. I think the body is such a great anti-fragile machine 
the mind even more so, and the ability to introduce stress, whether it's self-imposed or life-imposed, is really the, the the purpose of life is the ability to see what 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 is you, what are you capable of, what what is your true potential. Um, you know, I think one of my favorite quotes is a ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are built for. So the ability to enjoy the stormy waters and and know you will you will make it out and enjoy the ride and enjoy the rocky seas is really what life is all about. Yeah. And and going back to kind of like what you were saying about um just like warrior culture as well. I I have this thing where it's like every intellectual should go to the gym and work out, do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Uh, every single gym bro or Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy should read and be a voracious reader. And these are like the warrior poet, warrior scholar type of things that, that we should be striving for, for us to make the best sound decisions now. Yep. Uh, I have these questions. Yeah, I think that, it's a, oh, yeah. a great quote. It's, uh, it's, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. 100%. So, so 100% agree with that. So we, we, I asked this, this question now to uh, my Twitter audience. Uh, and they came back with uh, some bangers over here. So I wanted to ask you some questions. You, you were actually on it as well, just pitching back and forth saying you love this question. You love that one. Yeah. All right. So if you were doing a CEO skill draft, what skill do you take with the first pick? Well, once again, we got to ask, is it, is it a startup, scale up mm. or grow up CEO? Mm. So let's go let's through each one, one of, of each. Yeah. Yeah. So for startup, you are 100% in product creation mode. And so this is an individual that's deep in innovation. They, they are a problem solver by nature. They love poking and prodding and going, that could be better. And so for me, it's innovation as in the startup phase. It's an individual that can understand a problem and come up with solutions in order to fix it. In the scale-up mode, it's 100% management. So it's the ability to, to recruit lead and align people. And so your ability to, rec- I think when, when someone asked Steve Jobs, what was the thing he was most proud of? It wasn't the iPhone. It wasn't the Mac. It was the team that created those products. So the ability to go out and recruit and align these individuals, I think is super critical for the scale up. For the protection, this is tough, you know, because the, the grow up is really all about protection and protection is almost this mob boss mentality. And I think at that level, I'm looking for a killer like M&A. I think there's no, like a lot of people give Zuckerberg a lot of flack, but there would be no Zuckerberg if he didn't acquire Instagram for a billion dollars. So the fact that he's finding these companies and going, that's a potential threat. I'm going to go either acquire it or I'm going to build their key functionality into the program. So Instagram, their most used feature right now is stories. The second they released that Snapchat fell off a cliff. So I think Zuckerberg is, is he almost operates like a mob boss mentality. So he, from a protection standpoint, from a legacy protection standpoint, I think is one of the best at what he does. I remember um, Jeff Bezos saw diapers.com and he offered to acquire them because he saw them as a potential competitor and he brought them uh, to the, to the company to discuss the final terms to acquire the company. And he famously put them in a building that didn't have any cell phone reception. And they spent five hours negotiating in this room. The entire time, the diapers.com leadership team was calling the founders because at the same time, Jeff was launching 
a massive com- competition sale against diapers.com and then almost putting them out of business and he ended up acquiring them for pennies on the dollar. Like these are ruthless individuals. And honestly, that's what's required when you're at hundred million or beyond. It's kind of like UFC championship. When you're the contender, when you're on the way up, no one's really looking at you. But the second you're the Connor or you're the Khabib or you're the, 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 t- the person with the belt, everyone's analyzing all your tape. They're looking at all your flaws. They're seeing what other people worked against you and they're bringing all of the heat against you. And so it's a lot harder to be the champion than it is to be the contender. Ruthless. My gosh. Ruthless. Ruthless. Oh. And, and, and they do such a good job of portraying. That's the thing is everyone's rooting mm. for you until you make it to the top. Mm. Uh, you like this one. Uh, what is the distribution approach a brand should take to go from 10 million to 100 million? One of the key critical things that a CEO needs to find out when they're approaching 10 million, Dan, is their strategic flywheel. So understanding what is the economic engine that actually drives my business. So at AppSumo, when we close incredible deals, we couldn't help but attract customers into the platform. So if we were just focused on ads, 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 and we didn't start with incredible products, we would not be successful at marketing. So figuring out what is the top of my company's strategic flywheel is so critical in order for you to turn what is essentially a manual crank into a locomotive that can't be stopped by a concrete wall. And so for your business, maybe it starts with content creation. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to reinvent the wheel and do something brand new. What we instead want to do is elevate and improve what's already working. And so instead of hey, we're going to launch a new channel and you know go into paid advertising when we've never done it before, or we're going to go into SEO and we don't have a single ranking. Instead, how do we elevate what's already working and take that from, I mean, you could take one channel from 10 to 100 million. Obviously, we want a little bit more diversity, but one channel alone can take you from 10 to 100 million. So my recommendation, figure out what took you from one to 10 and make that 10x better. Mm, I love that one. Love that one. And... Um... I'm going to end off with this one. So this is from uh, actually a client of mine. His name is Adam. And he's asking you, who coaches you? And what type of ROI have you seen from the coaching you've invested in? And uh, how would you scale coaching to become a standard practice in corporations? You know, I spend, I spend uh, currently, I, I, I do an analysis. I have 14% of my current business revenue spent on coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've spent a lot of money in the past on coaches. You know, when I was growing up, I didn't have I didn't have the money to buy the books, and so the only coaching I had was a library card and, and a Saturday afternoon in the library. And I'm learning from the greats like the Stephen Coveys and um, you know just all of the greats of the books that I've read growing up. But as you get older, you have more money than time, and so coaching is a great way to leapfrog knowledge and the ability to immediately get something that's tailored to you. And I remember being at an event, and uh, this individual was. touting his coaching program. And it was, um, it was $150,000 investment, Dan. And I'd spent 10 years saving up for an investment property. And I'm like, you know what? I'm the investment property. And I ended up cutting that $150,000 check and joining this individual's like coaching program. And I remember immediately almost going into a panic attack. Like this was the most money I'd spent on anything, significant portion of my net worth. Um, I'm like, holy, what did I just do? Over the next 12 months, Dan, my net worth increased by well over seven figures. So I made over 10X on that investment. And 
I it immediately elevated my thinking. It created business partnerships. It allowed me to bring lessons to AppSumo that took us from 20 to 40 million. Um, and I remember sitting in the hot tub of this individual's multi-million dollar Sun Valley home with a natural spring running through it. And it had a natural hot tub, like a natural um, lava lava waters in the, so he had not only 40 degree stream running through his multi-million dollar home, but a natural hot spring. And so we were literally doing cold plunge hot tub. And I remember sitting in this room, sitting in the, in the hot spring next to him, asking him like live questions and getting coached by him. That individual is Tony Robbins. So like the ability to get by coached by like some of the best in the world. Um, you know, there's another one, Dan Putt, who's like my mindset coach. He owns, a, he's a co-founder of Reboot, one of the best coaches in the world. Um, obviously you, you, I consider you one of my, my fitness coaches. Thank you. I mean, obviously one of the best in the world. To me, the ability to create this board of advisors, depending on what you're trying to get better at, is such a hack. And I know that not everyone can do it, but there's no reason why you can't get a library card. There's no reason why you can't use your YouTube channel to get free content. I think it's one of the key things that allows you to accelerate your learning is by surrounding yourself by individuals that have already walked the path that you're looking for. That's incredible. And, uh, and I've never really had it enunciated like you and, uh, I have to get my uh, coaching fees up to 150 grand. Um, yeah. I, that's, that's the, that's the biggest lesson I've learned from this. That's right. Uh, but, but to me, it's like, there's levels of, uh, of learning, which is like, you know, the first one, very first one is obviously going to be like the lowest level is going to be like social media, like YouTube, whatever it is. Next level is going to be books, but the, the most advanced and the, the level that's going to get you to where you need to be quickest is going to be coaching. It's always going to be coaching. I, I look at it as like the exponential, um, the exponential factor when it comes to speed. And you're not trying to learn things fast, but it just increases the speed of success at what you're trying to get better at. And, um, and what better way than to actually have access to the person that is the best in the world at it. So yeah, coaching is, is number one and it's incredible. So my man, I've had so much fun on this. And then, uh, I do want to have, uh, conversations, uh, outside of this with you, you know, just we are pitching back and forth on text, but, but definitely, totally. yeah, I want to, want to get some one-on-ones with you in person. So, Absolutely. um, yeah, so where actually, so if, if someone actually wanted to hire you for CEO coaching, I know that you're doing like one-on-ones right now. Um, where would you point them towards? Uh, and then also, is there any other links that you would uh, want everyone to know just to have access to you? I, I, I'll be, I'm not actually taking on clients right now. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I, like I have individuals on my waiting list that, that I, I still have to reach out to. Um, but if they want to follow me on Twitter, I think that's like probably the easiest way. If they want to sign up on the waiting list, um, you know, like my, I've had a lucky situation where my churn is less than I expected. So there are individuals where it's been six plus months that I've yet to reach out to. Um, so I'm not currently taking on one-on-one clients, but my free content is out there. So if they want to follow me on Twitter or on Instagram, uh, they can find me there. Highly recommend. And also, um, I want to say that you, you do have a course uh, based on operations and systems uh, that's online as well. Uh, I, I highly recommend uh, everyone to actually like buy that course, especially if you're just like trying to create the operation system for your business. Um, you can find that on Eamon's uh, Twitter and uh, just in general, man. Um, I love you as a person. You know, I think you're fucking awesome. So Damn, I just want to say This was a great conversation. You know, obviously, Dan, I've, I've been admiring your stuff for, for a long time and really looking forward to continuing to hang out in person yeah. and online. 
Awesome, man. All right. So, uh, so yeah, access Amon at uh, the Twitter. And, uh, and yeah, man, uh, again, thanks for coming on and, and spreading the wisdom. Appreciate you. Thank you again for listening to The Dan Go Show. We have some amazing episodes coming your way, so make sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. If you're already subscribed and today's episode hit home for you, please share this episode with someone that you know who'd benefit from listening. Take care and see you every week on your favorite podcasting app.